Hi, it's Nick here from MSF. Before we get started with our first episode of Series 2 of Everyday Emergency, I just wanted to say a big thanks to everyone that listened and subscribed to Series 1. We've had such great feedback that we decided to do another season. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, then welcome. From the conflicts in Syria to the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, we bring you true stories from the front line of emergency medicine around the world. The older episodes are still available, so be sure to go back and listen. And as always, please subscribe and write a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps spread the word. Now, on with the episode. If I were to ask you what's the greatest infectious killer disease facing the world today, what would you say? HIV? Ebola? What about malaria? Undoubtedly, all of these diseases are voracious killers, but none more so than a disease many have resigned to the history books. In 2015, 10.4 million people developed TB, and of those, 1.8 million people died. So when you look at the figures, that means TB is the biggest infectious disease killer in the world right now. Consumption, thysis, scrofula, POTS disease, and the white plague are all terms that have been used to refer to tuberculosis throughout history. TB um, historically was first, it was goes far back as the Egyptians. It was, it's been found to be in, in, in Egyptian mummies from thousands of years ago. After five millennia, it's still around and it lives in one third of people alive in the world today. One third of people in the world have got what's called latent TB. So that's TB, which is in your body, but your body is able to control it. So you don't develop symptoms or you don't get ill with it. So it would not surprise me if I did actually have TB, latent TB. You're listening to Everyday Emergency, a podcast from Doctors Without Borders. I'm Nick Owen from Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, also known as MSF. Today is World TB Day. It falls on the 24th of March each year to bring attention to one of the deadliest diseases known to man. A disease that's becoming ever more resistant to the drugs used to treat it. On this special episode of Everyday Emergency, the first in our second series, we'll be hearing from a remarkable woman who survived a deadly three-year battle with TB. Against the odds, Elizabeth Wangesi from Nairobi was the first person to survive one of the deadliest forms of drug-resistant TB in Kenya. I feel like, wow, the day has come. After struggling for all that time, yeah, I'm very, very, very happy, happy, happy. I'm excited. That was the sound of Elizabeth on the day she finally beat drug-resistant TB. But that moment is an extraordinary one. Only a quarter of people with this particular type of drug-resistant TB survive. Before we get going and hear more from Elizabeth, it's important to explain the difference between certain types of TB. For that, we've enlisted the help of Mark Sherlock, an MSF TB doctor who works not far from Elizabeth in Nairobi. So TB is a bacterial infection. It's picked up normally from aerosol, meaning people coughing on you. That's the main way how you can um, contract it. But if somebody had TB and they're just coughing you once, you're not going to pick up TB. It's normally people who live in very close contact and you've got a pearly ventilated house with, um, which is very small and you live in very close quarters. That's where you're at most risk of developing TB. 
As we said at the start of the episode, one third of the world's population has TB. But 95% of this huge number has what's called latent TB. This is TB that lies dormant in your body, but your body is able to control the bacterium so symptoms don't develop. The most important thing is you're not infectious, so it won't spread to anyone else. For the other 5%, they develop the active disease as soon as they are infected, and this can develop into more deadly strains known as drug-resistant TB. To develop drug-resistant TB, it can, you can get it in either, probably, broadly speaking, two ways. You can have had normal TB, where you may not have been compliant with your drugs, so you didn't take your drugs every day like you should have. Possibly it wasn't the patient's fault, it might have been the health system's fault where they weren't able to supply drugs. If this happens, this chopping and changing between taking drugs for a month and maybe not taking for a few weeks and taking drugs again, the bacteria is never fully killed, the TB bacteria. So it changes the genes of its own makeup and then becomes resistant to the drugs that you're fighting it with. That's one way of developing drug-resistant TB, but there's also another way. The drug-resistant form of the disease can be passed from person to person. This often occurs with people living or working in cramped, poorly ventilated conditions. So despite never having had TB before, the drug-resistant form can develop straight away. And what drug-resistant TB is, it means that you're resistant to the, most, the two most effective drugs that we have which is rifampicin and isoniazid. So for the definition of drug-resistant TB is, is having re resistance to those two drugs, but it can get worse than that. The next two most effective drugs that we have is what are called the injectables, and we also have the uh, fluoroquinolones. And if you get resistance to one of those, as well as the rifampicin and isoniazid, you're called what's called pre-extensive drug-resistant TB. And that means you're resistant to either the injectable or the fluoroquinolone, and you're also resistant to the rifampicin and the isoniazid. And then the final type of TB that you have is extensively resistant TB, which is called XDR-TB, and that is when you are resistant to all four main drugs. So that is rifampicin, isoniazid, the injectable drugs, and also the fluoroquinolones. So what you're left at that point is very, very, very old and mostly ineffective drugs um, to fight the TB. Mark works at a clinic called The Greenhouse, treating people with every strain of TB, drug-resistant or otherwise. It's in an area called Matari, one of Nairobi's largest slums where people live in close confines and TB is rife. Despite killing more people than HIV since 2015, TB is woefully underfunded. Drugs to treat TB have barely improved over the last 50 years, and at the current rate of progress, the world is 150 years behind schedule to meet the World Health Organization's 2030 targets to reduce TB incidence and death. This is what led to Elizabeth's disastrous situation. Already infected with drug-resistant TB, Elizabeth's condition worsened as she became resistant to the treatment. Because TB is curable, I started my medicine or my, my medication, knowing that I'll just take for a short time, then it'll be cured. But the journey was not like that, to, from TB, normal TB, to MDR, and then to XDR, which were the, maybe abnormal, according to me. And the disease was, it was giving me a lot of headache and many side effects. The worst thing that has ever happened in my life. Elizabeth was the, the unfortunate accolade for her to, ha to be the first known patient in Kenya 
to have extensively drug-resistant TB. So if I just recap on what that means, that means she was resistant to the, the four big drugs that you can use to treat TB. And this is the, the patients that have only got a 26% cure rate. So it's a hugely disastrous disease and destructive disease. The bit challenge there was that there were no medicines for XDL in Kenya, in my country. So I waited for about a month for the medication now to come to Kenya. So I was like, maybe the medicine will not come. That means I'll not be cured for TB. So I was very, very, very down. And I was wondering if I will die till now, I will just pass away. I'll just leave my kids, my husband, my loving family, my dad, my mom, and everyone. So I was very, very down. But after a month, I thank God the medication for XDL was there. And I started the medication for XDL. And incredibly, Elizabeth survived. Throughout her struggle, Elizabeth wrote a blog about her fight with TB. And in a moment, we'll be hearing the final blog post she wrote in May 2016. The following was written by Elizabeth and is read by actor Faith Nganyi. Make sure to stay tuned afterwards when we'll hear more from Elizabeth and Mark. The 6th of May 2016. Finally, my big day. I am feeling so excited beyond words. The rain and the cold weather today could not in any way ruin my happiness. One, two, three, twelve last pills. In the past two and a half years, I have had to swallow close to 15,000 tablets. What started off as regular tuberculosis morphed to a stronger resistance and after five months, I was put on multi-drug resistant TB drugs. As if this killer disease was on a rampage for my family, my three-year-old child John became very ill too. My son could not walk, talk or play like normal children. After several screenings and tests, he was also put on medication for multi-drug-resistant TB. And today, one year later, he is doing fantastic. He finished his treatment and went back to school. He is playing, talking and moving around so much. He knows the neighborhood like the back of his hand. Today, it's my turn to complete the treatment. I feel like I have been blessed twice. When I started this gruesome journey, bearing in mind the side effects and painful injections, my family and colleagues could not believe I had TB. They're actually still confused about the strain of extensively drug-resistant TB, which they struggle to understand despite my many in-house lectures. Most people around me thought I would have to take the medication for life, which is false. Each TB strain has its own time frame for treatment. There have been very tough moments, especially when my fellow patients who'd become my good friends over the years would die. I was devastated. I am, however, grateful for the support and counseling that I have received at the MSF Greenhouse TB Clinic. I will never have dreamt of this kind of love, care and concern from the security guard to the doctor, as well as my husband, parents and firstborn daughter, Agnes. This support made my treatment bearable and I'm truly thankful to them. Now moving forward with my life and career as a teacher, I would also like to become a TB educator to help and encourage people going through this strenuous treatment. Prevention remains the best way to avoid the nightmare I have now overcome.
Hundreds of thousands of people infected with drug-resistant strains of TB aren't able to access treatment. And even for those that can get treatment, it's often ineffective. As Mark said earlier, of the 10.4 million people who were infected with TB in 2015, 480,000 of those had drug-resistant TB. Over the 480,000, over, just over 150,000 of those died. So you're talking probably well over a 35% mortality rate amongst the multidrug resistant TB. In actual fact, we checked and the number of people who died from DRTB in 2015 was 250,000, according to the WHO. So put another way, you are far more likely to catch regular TB than a drug resistant strain. And generally speaking, your chances of survival are pretty good. But if you are unfortunate enough to contract a drug-resistant strain, on the balance of probability, you'll die. Furthermore, although regular TB is actually declining, drug-resistant TB is on the rise. In reality, the, 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 the sheer numbers of TB is actually slowly decreasing, but we have unfortunately increased numbers of drug-resistant TB. So the balance is slightly changing. Yes, we might have decreased raw numbers of TB, but we haven't increased numbers of really complicated TB, which is a huge public health risk, not just to us in to me working in Kenya, but also in Europe or the US or any, any, any country around the world. So why is this not of greater concern to the powers that be? It's really out of the mindset of Western governments. And I think people have thought it's disappeared, but it, it's, it's really resurgent. It's really come back to life. It's frustrating. Um, and frustrating for a number of reasons. Frustrating that the world ignored TB for the last 50 years, essentially, and don't have better drugs. That, for me as a clinician, is very, very frustrating. Um, but unfortunately in medicine, and, and it's not just TB, you, sometimes you have to give very, very toxic drugs to, make, to get the patient better. It seems TB was either underestimated, neglected, or just forgotten about. And without adequate control and prevention, it became deadlier than ever. Well, definitely within the last 20 years, you've got the uh, drug-resistant TB becoming more into the public health fray. And it's, that originated mostly from the breakdown of the USSR. And TB was relatively well controlled from what I gather in USSR pre kind of mid 80s. And then when the, but, but they had a lot of TB, which was treated relatively well. But with the breakdown of the USSR into the separate countries, um, there was a huge breakdown in finances and public health finances. And this led to uh, poor TB control. A lack of oversight was one thing, but what really tipped the scales was irregular intermittent treatment with drugs. So people, um, especially in prisons, being in cramped conditions with then poor access to tablets. So they may have had treatment for a month and then they ran out of tablets and may have missed a month and then went back onto tablets for a month. So that chopping and changing with, with TB is one of the biggest risk factors for developing drug-resistant uh, TB. So for you to get treated well with normal TB, you have to take your drugs every day for six months. And if you do that, you're going to get cured, essentially. But if you start chopping and changing, that's when you increase the risk of developing drug-resistant TB. Inadequate treatment may have been commonplace after the breakup of the USSR, but it's still the case in many impoverished parts of the world today, not least in Kenya, where Mark is working. We have got, currently got um, two patients with extensively drug-resistant TB. Their names are John and Evelyn. They're husband and wife. They're not from Nairobi. They're from a small town of country. John had previously been treated for TB, 
but unfortunately his treatment wasn't adequate and he developed extensively drug-resistant TB. And he passed this on to his wife. And they were initially treated in their hometown and they were just failing. They were just getting more and more unwell. When he arrived at our clinic, he couldn't walk, he could barely talk, he couldn't eat, he had a, a horrific cough and you would think he was about to die. We're going to return to John and Evelyn's story a little later, but first let's talk about treatment. Treatment for DRTB is complicated and involves a toxic mix of drugs with horrendous side effects. And although survival rates are poor, in certain cases it can be successfully treated, as Elizabeth's case shows. The treatment is long, currently 20 months, and it's with a very, very painful injection for at least eight months. It's very, very common to hear people screaming and crying out with pain as they get this injection every day. And they have to take maybe up to 16 tablets also a day. And over the course of a 20 month period, they get these painful injections for about eight months, but also they take roughly 14,000 tablets in 20 months. It's just a colossal number of medication. And they have to take this every day and they have to come to the clinic every day for this. If you were wondering what happened to John and Evelyn, well... We got him started on treatment and slowly, slowly, he has built himself up and we are now in a position where we are about to transfer them back to their hometown to finish the last few months of their treatment. It's remarkable. They walk to the clinic together as a couple every day and they are now very much just leaving, leading a normal life. They're not infectious anymore, so they're living part of the community. If they were able to, they could work, work again. And their response to the medication and their commitment to the medication and the treatment has been incredible. And John has told me that his community are gonna think he's a ghost when he comes back because nobody, nobody thought he'd survive. He's doing amazing. He's doing absolutely fantastic. And I don't know if it's for the, um, I don't know if it's for the, it should be for the uh, podcast, but he, 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 he's been telling the clinicians about how much his sex life has improved as well. He's really open about, he's really open about this, which is really funny. I find, that, I find that quite endearing. So people can recover from drug-resistant strains of TB and live full and active lives. However, they still have to endure a toxic cocktail of drugs, which can have side effects more unbearable than TB itself. The last thing is... As I was continuing with my medication, my son John was two years old. So even him was to start MDR medication. So it was very painful to see John being injected daily for MDR. Physically, he was sick. I'm there with the same case. Um, physically, I was very unhealthy. I was weak and I, I was to carry John every day to the clinic because medication were for every day and you must go to the clinic daily. That was the last I can remember in that medication life. These patients experience uh, a variety of side effects from the drugs. So hearing loss is quite common with the injectable drug. They're kind of practically death by the end of the, uh, the treatment. Hepatitis is quite common with some of the drugs. Gastritis, so kind of inflammation of the stomach. Diarrhea, vomiting is very common and abdominal pain. People even lose their hair. So what we do in the clinic is try and manage these as best as we can. But we have to be very careful because that means we're adding in more tablets. And the last thing they want to do is take more tablets. So it's, it's, a, it's a real fine balance about managing the side effects and seeing what the patient can tolerate. So, but, but, but that just... Uh, that just indicates of how horrific this treatment is. 
it really is awful. Administering a lengthy course of drugs with horrible side effects and no guarantee of survival must be a difficult decision for a doctor to take. But at least for Mark, in his particular clinic, the odds are better. So in the MSF clinic that I work in, the cure rate for the multidrug resistant TB is approximately around 85%. We have a very, very high cure rate amongst our patients. It's very hard for the patient, say if you're starting a treatment, they can only see the toxic drugs and the painful injections. But I've got the foresight to be able to see the outcome, the patient's getting better, the smile on their face at the end of the treatment. And what I can do is try to portray this onto the patient, tell the patient, counsel the patient that things are really tough right now, but at the end of this treatment, there's a very, very, very high chance that you will be cured and you will get better and you, your life will get back to normal. Cure rates in Mark's clinic in Kenya are exceptionally good, but without access to quality care like this, DRTB remains one of the most difficult diseases to overcome. And whether you have regular TB or a drug-resistant strain, the disease takes a heavy toll, and not just physically. The impact of living with TB for such a long time causes patients to feel depressed, isolated, and hopeless. It's a huge burden on them, on their life, socially, work-wise. And sometimes it's the breadwinner who has got the, the TB. And so if they're unable to work, the whole family suffer. In our clinic, we've got two counsellors and one social worker. And they are the key to providing a more holistic approach to TB. And the better we do that, the better these patients' outcomes are and the less likely they are to default, meaning less likely they are to stop taking their medication. While infectious diseases such as HIV are generally more accepted and understood now, there's still a lot of confusion and misinformation within communities about what TB is and how people become infected. This has led to many patients being stigmatised by neighbours, friends, and even their families. HIV has been, in most communities, has been very accepted now, and it's seen as a chronic illness. You have it and you get on with it. But TB is very, very different. And what I hear from patients is, you know, being people being shunned by the community, um, people won't come to the house, even if they've been fully cured. It can be people know that it's a severe infection, but people don't know that you can be cured of it. So educating people about all types of TB is key to reducing stigma and ensuring people seek proper treatment. And who better to do this than a professional teacher and TB survivor? I'm a teacher. I love my work for teaching. I like being with the children. So I went back. That was a sign of uh, happiness to show that I am now held again. I can work. I can go to rural area freely. There's no daily medication. That was my joy. Next year we'll be in class? Four. In class four. Seven days. Seven days. Do the three days make a week. Elizabeth is very open now about her TB and she, she wants to reduce the stigma and she she's constantly speaking out and she's an advocate in her community for TB. After been medication for almost two years. I can remember some doctors asked me to talk to a woman who had a small baby two months and she was she, she had a MDR. So they called me to talk to her. I gave her my whole story about John and I. Seeing me I'm healthy and I'm still taking medication and I'm good, I can do my work. She started 
taking her medicine because of my own story, so because of talking to her. So that one I can say that I saved someone's life. I'm proud of that. It's amazing to see that somebody who got this um, horrific diagnosis and she embraced it in a way and made it her own and got through the treatment. And now she uses that experience to tell other people about it and encourage other people and try to get people tested for TB. So she's an amazing character and an amazing person. Elizabeth's story really is remarkable, but for many patients, this is not the case. And there is still such a long way to go before we can even think about meeting the WHO's targets for reducing TB incidence and death by 2030. And this is something I'm quite passionate about. We have to be advocates and we can do that as individuals, as organisations, as ministries. In the UK, you contact your MP, you write a letter to your MP to lobby the government, to lobby the pharmaceutical companies. If we can do this, if we can push the pharmaceutical companies enough, we can then start thinking about decreasing TB globally and actually eliminating TB. In the last four years, two promising new drugs, Dilaminid and Bedaquilin, both of which drastically reduce treatment time and side effects, have come on the market. But currently very few people are able to access them. This is in part because they're unavailable in those countries hardest hit by TB and they're priced out of reach for those most in need. MSF is involved in a number of projects to trial new treatment regimens and improve access to those much needed drugs. If you're interested in finding out more about MSF's work in the fight against TB, visit msf.org.uk TB. If you'd like to hear more about TB from our staff, Episodes 4 and 7 of the first series of this podcast look at two powerful stories from Uzbekistan. Well, that's it for this special episode of Everyday Emergency. I'd like to thank Elizabeth and Mark for taking the time to talk to us on World TB Day. If you would like to help spread the word about the topics we've discussed today, please leave a review wherever you get this podcast. Your support goes a long way. Next time on Everyday Emergency... Every single body represents a a story and a life and, and hardship that they're leaving behind and you can't ignore that anymore. We'll be back in a couple of weeks when we'll hear from Canadian nurse Courtney Birkin, who spent the latter half of 2016 on board a search and rescue vessel in the Mediterranean. Make sure to listen. For more true stories from the front line of medical emergencies, subscribe via your podcast provider or visit msf.org.uk slash podcast.